0: Anytime you have to walk on a platform after H.C. Wilson and Laurel Buckingham, that is an intimidating day. Uh, It is such an honor to be here. And he started with a date in 1981. Before that, I was born in 1973 in Sussex, New Brunswick, and went to Kingswood just down the road there in Sussex for some years. And uh, so we've been both on this side of the border and that side of the border, but it's really good to be on this side this morning. He started with a date. I want to go back even further if I could to 1952 on the streets of Moncton, New Brunswick. There was a young man, a teenager who would later become my father, Ken Gorvette, who was running around causing trouble. And there was a guy in their neighborhood. They lived on Elm Street, just a few blocks north of the old Highfield Square that is no longer there. And there was a guy in their neighborhood who was known as one of the best moose hunters in all of Moncton. And he invited my father to go to church, and my father had very little interest in church, but great interest in going hunting. And he thought, maybe if I go with him to this church service that he's invited me to, maybe he'll invite me also to go hunting. And later that night, they were standing on the streets of Moncton, and the guy asked him if he would be interested in giving his life to Jesus. And they prayed together that night, and that set my father on a search for a church where he could plug in, connect, and grow spiritually. And uninvited, he walked in the door to a strange little church downtown that today is Moncton Wesleyan Church right here. And there he saw people on their knees praying with a passion for God like he had never seen before in his life. And he made that his church home, he grew spiritually, went to Kingswood, met my mother, and as they say, the rest is history. But the reason I tell you that is because I want to just begin with a deep thank you from my heart for your investment in the Gorvette family. Because if it had not been from this church, I cannot tell you where we would be today or whether God would even be part of our lives. And so thank you, thank you, thank you also i wonder if you might be interested in studying god's word today amen Amen. let's go ahead and open our bibles if you didn't bring a bible you can use one of your electronic devices let's find luke chapter 14. luke chapter 14 today we are starting this series called made for more and so we're going to talk about today something that your heart is made for in fact your heart craves this thing more than anything else, that what your heart craves is love. But the the problem is that many times it is not as the world defines love. That the Bible gives us a very specific formula for love that we are going to look at today but first, I just wanna ask, as you're finding Luke 14, are there any shoppers in the house you love to shop for clothes, for technology, for product? If, you're, if you love some, some uh, shopping therapy, retail therapy, let me hear you in the house today. Do you love to shop? Yes. Okay, now, on the other side, any of you who hate to shop, if you hate shopping, let me hear it. I believe we have a divided house today. Uh, something like American politics and Canadian politics. It is a a divided house on the issue of shopping. But I think there is one thing that we can all agree upon on that issue, that everybody loves to get a good deal. Yes? And so what I have found is that if you go to a store and you're looking for a good deal on some clothing, that if if you go to a special rack, a clearance rack, and you're looking on that rack, that, that if you can find clothes that are marked with this tag, slightly irregular, that you're going to get a really good price. But what that means, if there is a tag on it that says slightly irregular, it means that that somewhere on that clothing, there is a problem. They don't tell you what it is. You have to find it for yourself. But But it might mean that there's a stain that won't come out or a zipper that won't zip or a button that doesn't work or a thread that is loose. But whatever it is, you know that if you buy that, product marked slightly irregular that that it is as is once you give them the money there is no returns and you just have to deal with that fact and guess what the same is true with people that every one of us if we were to be completely honest would probably have to wear a tag that says slightly irregular In fact, wouldn't it be easy to get to know people if we all did wear that tag? Imagine if a friend sets you up on a blind date and and you open the door to meet this person for the very first time and there is their tag that says, uh, slightly obnoxious (laughs) or greatly obnoxious or or maybe their tag says low self-esteem or fear of commitment so you just know up front. Uh, One time I dated a girl whose tag should have read giant black hole of emotional neediness who will suck you dry, run for your life, so help you God. Uh, (laughs) That is not my wife, by the way. (laughs) That was a a different situation. uh, But we try to keep those things hidden from people, don't we? At least until after the first date. Because the fact is that we are all damaged goods with bumps and bruises and problems and defects and so let's just be honest for a minute could we get that off of our chest just do a little confession therapy would you turn to the person in front of you behind you beside you and would you just tell them you know what you got problems go ahead and tell them right now (laughs) Here's what I love about that assignment, is right now I'm watching you to see how you respond. <laughs> because you can tell a lot about a person's personality. Some of you were like, you got issues, girl. And then others say, that is inappropriate. I'm not going to do that. That wouldn't be very nice. And so uh, what, how you even responded to that assignment, we're gonna get into a little bit later how that might apply to our scripture today. But in your Bible, or on your phone, have you found Luke chapter 14? It's not going to be on the screen. Everything we do today is going to be in your hand, in the Word of God. Jesus talks about how we put these labels on people. And in this story, Jesus is at a party. And in Luke 14, beginning in verse 12, it says that Jesus turned to his host and said... When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. Some of you have been looking for that verse all your life. You can call your family for Easter dinner and say, Jesus says you can't come over to eat. (laughs) Luke 14, 12. Uh, That's not the point, I promise. Here he's about to get to the point. If you do, he says, they, those who are rich and influential or the people who you're close to may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And so I think there's a principle here that Jesus is teaching where he is pointing to a reality of our human nature that what we tend to do is spend time with people who make us comfortable. To be around those who we get along with really well, who don't challenge us, people in our comfort zone, or maybe even people who can help us in some way. To be around someone who is rich or influential or popular because maybe they can improve our social status. But Jesus said no to that kind of thinking, that instead of being selfish like the world, Jesus says, if you are a Christian, then I want you to help the poor and to help the disabled and to help people who society labels, people who are disadvantaged. And Jesus said, listen, that is the path of blessing and great reward in the kingdom of the heaven. And so in your Bible, let's, let's turn now to Romans 15, verse 7. Romans 15, verse 7. And today, we're going to talk about how to get along with these kind of as is slightly irregular people, which we already admitted is all of us. All of us fit into this category. And so Christian psychologist Henry Cloud talks about this great formula that we can use, and this formula is the formula for love. So this is the only point today. If you came expecting to take a whole lot of notes, all you need is just a little tiny space, because this is it. Let's put it on the screen. The formula for love that... Uh, Henry Cloud gives us, and I think you're going to see in just a minute, is not just a psychologist. This is directly from the Word of God. In fact, Mark already read it earlier in our time of worship. Here it is. Grace plus truth equals love. Everybody, let's say that together. Grace plus truth equals love. Now, this time, let's say it like you're convinced, okay? Grace plus truth equals love. And here's what that means. That you cannot have that kind of love that your heart deeply craves without both of these two elements. Grace and truth. John 1.14 says that Jesus came from the Father full of two things. What? It says Jesus came from the Father full of... Grace and truth. That balance is what we seek. And the problem is that we live in a world that tends to prefer either one or the other. Isn't that true? That we tend to to err on one side or the other. That some people are all grace. Grace, grace all over the place. But let's not talk about the truth because that might make people uncomfortable. Right? Right? And lives are never transformed because of the absence of truth. And other people, in fact, sometimes Christians, we will run to the opposite because we don't want to be accused of not caring about the truth. And so we we become so concerned about the truth and proclaiming the truth that it can come out as a message of hate rather than love because of the absence of grace in our presentation or in the way that we live. And Jesus says, no, we have to be full of both, which frankly, can we agree, is kind of rare out in the world today. And so let's define each of these. What is grace and what is truth? First of all, I want to give you a definition from John Ortberg, who, who, who helps us a little bit with grace and truth and how to define those. He gives a great definition that I love. John Ortberg says that grace is the gift of radical acceptance, the gift of radical acceptance. And so hopefully by now you found Romans 15, verse seven, where Paul says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Okay, there are three parts to that verse. Look at it again, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Now, let's, let's work that backwards. So it's, first of all, if we're Christians, the purpose of our life should be to bring praise to God, right? So Romans 15 verse 7 tells us one of the ways to do that, that in order to bring praise to God, you have to accept others. But how? It tells us as Christ accepted us. So now let me ask you, how did Christ accept you? If you're a Christian here in this place today, you've received Jesus, you've, you've confessed your sins, and you've experienced Him in your life, then you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that, that Christ accepted you as is. He bought you off the clearance rack. <laughs> with your slightly irregular tag and and the whole deal. He, he, He has no strings, no conditions. Jesus didn't say, listen, first you better clean up your act. First you better get rid of all your bad habits. First you better start acting like a Christian and then you can come and I'll accept you. No, Jesus said, look, if you will come and surrender yourself to me and receive my forgiveness, that I will come into your life and you will be in me and I will be in you and together together we're going to turn this thing around yeah. amen years ago in southern ohio there was a special football game that took place a kid named jake porter was a member of his high school football team and jake has a disorder called chromosomal fragile x which means that he has special needs and although Uh, you know, that was the case. The team, he came and he, he was at every practice. He dressed with the pads and the whole uniform for every game and sat on the bench, but all the while knowing that he would never be able to play in a real game. Well, Jake had a coach, the head coach of that team, whose name was Dave Franz. And Dave Franz was Was just dreaming about ways that he could celebrate Jake's investment as he had gone all the way through high school and now he's in his senior year. It's his very last game of the last season that Jake would ever be part of the team. And so he set up a meeting with the coach from the other team before the game. And he said to the coach from the other team, he said, Look, in the last few minutes of the game, not if it affects the outcome, but if the, if the score is really, really lopsided, would it be okay for us to put Jake Porter in the game for just one down? And he said, what what will happen is we practiced it again and again. He knows exactly what to do, that the quarterback will snap the ball. They will receive the ball, give it to Jake. Jake will immediately take a knee so that no one tackles him. Nobody gets hurt. But that way he can know for the rest of his life that he was out on the field and played football in a real game. And so the other coach said that that would be perfectly fine. And so the game starts and it does turn out to be a blowout. Jake's team is losing 42 to 0. There's less uh, than a minute left. It's, it's brutal. It's ugly. It's like a Saskatchewan uh, Rough Riders game. Yes? No, no I, I don't even know. Uh, but uh, but I, I was trying to come up with a maple leaf illustration, but I just didn't have anything today. Uh, and so it's 42 to to zero with five seconds left on the clock and so Jake's coach calls the timeout so he can put him in the game as they had previously arranged but all of a sudden the coach from the other team comes running off the field as soon as timeout is called and everybody wonders in the stands is there a problem did he change his mind and so the two coaches meet in the middle of the field and the coach from the other team says look We've been talking over on our sideline, and we've made a decision. When you put Jake in the game, we don't want for him to take a knee. We want you to let him run the ball and score a touchdown. Well, (laughs) Jake's coach is kind of overwhelmed. (laughs) Coach Dave says, "Uh, we haven't practiced that. (laughs) He's like, when we give him the ball, we're not sure what he'll do. All we've practiced is him taking a knee. If he runs the football, we're not sure how that'll turn out. He says, look, The other coach said, you put him in the game, we will make sure that he scores. And so Coach Dave goes back to the sidelines and gathers his team around in a huddle with Jake Porter smack dab in the middle of that huddle. And all around, and he looks at Jake and he says, look, when we give you the ball, don't take a knee. We want you to run and score. Run for the goal line. And Jake, as soon as he understood, his eyes got as big as saucers and he started jumping up and down. And so the teams line up. At about midfield. And the quarterback calls the play, 84, ISO. And when the ball is snapped, what happened next will go down in Ohio football history. That Jake had practiced taking a knee so many times that as soon as he got the ball, instinctively, he started to go down again. <laughs> But all the rest of the players on the field shouted, no, Jake, no, no, don't go down, run, run. And he looks around and all the players on the field are pointing towards the end zone. (laughs) He looks and all the the coaches on the sidelines are pointing towards the end zone. In the stands, all the fans are pointing towards the end zone. I'm sure it's not legal, but I think even the referees were probably pointing towards (laughs) the end zone. And so Jake slowly starts to walk through the crowd as 21 big football players parted like the Red Sea. And for the first time, he could see the goal line. And so as as he started trotting and picking up steam, 49 yards he ran, all the coaches and players on the sideline running step for step with him. And as Jake Porter crossed the goal line, all of a sudden, the bleachers just exploded. People are jumping up and down. People are pounding each other on the back. People are crying. But what I want you to think about today is the boys on the team on the field that day with Jake Porter, because I can guarantee that when they grow up, to be old men. They will probably forget the details of every other game they played. They'll probably forget the scores. They'll probably forget the plays. But none of them will forget the day that they helped Jake Porter score a touchdown. And folks, that is grace. That is grace. You see, grace reaches out to hurting people. People whom the world has rejected. And grace says you belong here. Grace says you are valued in this place. And grace is why sinful people flocked to be near Jesus. I've heard the correct response. Thank you, Shirley. thanks for grace. (laughs) See, grace is why sinful people flocked to Jesus. People in the world who were bruised and damaged and living in the destruction of their own sin. And Jesus would look them in the eye and say, I care about what you're going through. I love you. And if you will let me forgive you, if you will let me come into your life, we can turn this thing around and get you headed in the right direction. And that is grace. And I want you to imagine, just for a minute, try to imagine what a world would look like if everyone applied grace to their relationships like Jesus. I mean, imagine for just a minute if every child in the city of Moncton and Dieppe And Riverview, if every child had parents like that, imagine. I mean, just imagine if every marriage in this area were like that, with that kind of blessing. Imagine if every church in our region was like that. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? And guess what? It can happen, but it starts with you and it starts with me. Because every heart longs, craves the experience of receiving grace, the gift of radical acceptance. And so here's the problem. We already said that in our world today, people tend to run to one side or the other. And so many times outside of the church of Jesus Christ, many times what happens is people love grace, but not so much truth. (laughs) Because we define the two. Grace is the gift of radical acceptance. Everybody loves grace. Grace makes you feel good. But grace, without the application of truth, is powerless to change a life, which explains a lot about what's going on in our world today. Listen, if you love me, If you know that I'm in sin, you know that I'm making bad choices, you know that I'm headed down a path of destruction, but you won't say anything, that's not grace. That's negligence. See, grace, I love this. This thought has captured my heart recently. That that love cares enough to speak the truth, but lathers it and smothers it in grace. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? That that. Love is speaking the truth, but lathered and smothered in grace. In John 8, 32, Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 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 See, grace draws people in. Grace can attract a crowd, but without truth, it cannot change them. And that's why Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth because you will know the truth and the truth will set you free free. and so here's the deal all of us again tend to want to naturally err on one side or the other that some of us are great grace givers and some of us are more naturally truth tellers and so the question is how do you find that balance in your life like Jesus and so let's let's talk about that for just a minute that If you are here today and you are more naturally a grace giver, you probably know who you are. Maybe you find yourself saying things like, "Oh, I just wish we could all get along." You know, let's let's not rock the boat too much. We need. Let's keep the peace. Let's not say anything that might upset anyone. And listen, grace givers, if that's you here today, first of all, thank you for who you are because without you, the rest of the truth tellers would have killed themselves a long time ago. You know, the whole... Back and back and forth at each other. And so thank you, thank you, grace givers. But here's what you need to hear today. Sometimes you have to love people enough to have the courage to stand for truth. To stand for truth. Even when it's not popular, but to do it with grace, lathered and smothered in grace. But for others here today, maybe you are more naturally a truth teller and you know who you are. (laughs) In fact, some of you are looking out of the corner of your eye at your spouse. I wish they would just keep it to themselves sometimes and and, and, you know, you, you love to stoke the fire and you think you're generally right and you like to tell people that they're wrong and you love to get arguments going. And, 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 and if that's where you are today, maybe God wants for you to learn a lesson about grace and understanding and gentleness and patience. And the same is true for churches, isn't it? On the plane ride here, uh, on the way to Toronto, I was sitting beside a guy who was originally from India and is a good Christian man, part of something called the Syrian Orthodox Church. And as we were talking about what their church was like and what our kind of church traditions are like on this side of the spectrum, and and he made an interesting comment. He's lived in Toronto since 2002. And he said, he said, you know, one of the things that I don't understand, he said, "in, in Canada and in the United States, is why so many churches that are trying to connect with people through grace are dying on the vine? Why are churches all across our country closing, closing more than we're opening? And I said, well, if I were to venture a guess, I wonder if the possibility is because churches that are all grace but have forsaken the truth are powerless to transform lives. But on the other side, churches that are all truth without grace come across as a message of hate rather than as a message of love. And so how do we find that balance? I think one, uh, one place where I've seen it occasionally is... I've had the privilege, I love it when I get to go and speak at events or at conferences or at other churches, and being in the deep South states for a number of years now, that I've had the opportunity to be invited to speak at traditionally African American, all black churches, and uh, it is an experience that is fantastic, and uh, I think one of the reasons that people wonder, well, why is there so much segregation in uh, in churches in the South? And I think one of the reasons there may be some bad reasons as well but i think one is a more understandable reason that that it's hard sometimes for people who are very expressive in their worship to worship with a bunch of uptight white people okay and so you know you know, you, when a, you know in a traditionally caucasian church a lot of times somebody says something really good woo and and people say hmm, deep thought pastor very true. Or, or they get blessed during worship. You know, I mean, it's just the spirit is moving. and I, I think I need to raise my hands to Jesus. <laughs> I hope nobody saw me. <laughs> you know. But, man, when you go to a traditionally black church, they are going to know, you know, they're going to tell you what's going on. They are going to let you be encouraged. They're going to speak back. And so, uh, so if, if a pastor says something really powerful, they'll say, come on now, preach it, brother. Thank you, Jesus. And so what we're going to do is we're going to practice that, okay, just so you know <laughs> how it works. That... <laughs> And I promise it has a point. It's not just to make me feel good. It has a point. Here we go. So, so we'll get to the point in just a second. But first, let's do that. So, so I'm going to say a truth about God, and you, you let us have it, okay? Let's get the feedback. So God is good, and he is worthy to be praised. Come on, come on, come on. Maybe we'll have time to work on that. I don't know. I don't know. But, but then here's what you have to be prepared for. That in that same crowd, there is always at least one person that if you're, if you're off point, you're not kind of saying something quite right and, and gotten off track a little bit, that there's always one person who will speak up from the crowd and say, Mmm, help him, Jesus. <laughs> and so, so, so on the count of three, I want you to say, Mmm, help him, Jesus. Here we go. Mm, Oh, I didn't give you one, two, three. (laughs) One, two, three. Amen. See, that is speaking the truth. And folks, that balance, I think that's what families need to be about. Amen? I think that's what church needs to be about. That's what our schools need to be about. That's what our workplaces need to be about. When somebody needs grace, they need to know that they can come to us and that we will love them and we will unconditionally accept them. We will encourage them. We'll celebrate with them. But they also need to know that when things are kind of a little out of line, that we love them enough to say, "Mm, help him, Jesus. Amen? Let's stand together. And as we prepare to worship, and we're going to pray together here for just a few moments, but I wonder if there's anyone here today who perhaps the truth is That truth, God's word, what you know you should be doing and how you should be living is not the reality in your life right now. And maybe you know that there are things that you need to get right with God today. Please don't leave without confessing and receiving his gift of grace. But his grace comes with truth, which means that there might need to be some changes in your life. Maybe you're here today and because of the wounds and the rejection that you have experienced in your life before. Maybe you're a Christian here today, or maybe you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ here today. But wherever you are on that journey, maybe it's possible that you have a hard time living in the fullness and joy of what God wants for your life because you don't really believe that it's possible that God could forgive you. Know today that His forgiveness is real. And around this room, if maybe you say, Joel, would you pray for me? Either, first of all, maybe you're already a Christian or you have... Uh, somewhere on that spiritual journey, you're in a place where you say, Joel, I wonder if you would pray for me in one of these areas. Would you just raise your hand around this room? We're going to pray together in just a minute. We're going to pray together. Amen. But maybe you're here today and you've never crossed that line of faith. If you say today, I want the grace and truth of Jesus to come in and transform my life. Would you have the courage in front of all of these people, and we're not going to chase you down, we're not going to shove you into a room and jam scripture down your throat? You will have the opportunity to walk through a journey of discipleship to grow in Christ here in this place. But if you say, I want to begin that journey, I don't exactly know what it means yet, but I want to be forgiven, I want freedom. I want to accept his love for me. I want to be a Christian like we're talking about today. Would you raise it up high and hold it up so we can celebrate with you? Raise your hand way up high, somewhere around the room. Okay. Amen. Amen. Keep it up high. Keep it up high. Keep it up high. Is there anybody else here today? Keep it up high. Amen. 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 And if you did that, and even if maybe you didn't raise your hand yet, be sure to go to starting point, where there they can help you. Tell them that you've done that today, so that they can help you take some next steps in that starting point in your journey as well. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, first of all, we join with those who perhaps today are preparing to accept your love in their lives. Right now, together, we pray. Lord, we confess our sins, and we Receive your forgiveness. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross for us. And now we surrender our lives to him. Come into my life. Transform me. And I commit to follow you now and for the rest of my life. And for everyone else here today who perhaps is struggling maybe with someone in their life who they know is living in sin and they're trying to figure out how. Maybe it's a a child or a parent or a relative or someone at work and they've been trying to share Jesus' love with that person. And yet they don't know how to carry out this grace and truth because we know... We know that that person is living in sin. How do we be Jesus to them? God, I just pray your anointing on people like that. That that as we walk out of this place today, that it would be as missionaries to our community, called to serve with an abundance and the fullness of grace and truth. And that in that balance, people would truly know that Jesus is real and Jesus is. Is love because they see Him in our lives. In Jesus' name.